5 says, if we will receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we'll reign in life through one Jesus Christ. How many of you love to reign in life? Right? The enemy is looking to reign over you. Right? But the Bible declares through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that sin should no longer have dominion or sin should no longer reign in your life in the way that it does. So we begin to reign in life, reign over life through him. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, if you weren't here this morning, you weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, if you weren't with us this morning online, I want to give you an opportunity to give. You can give online. You can give by text. Do we have that text number up there? Uh, you can give by text if you're in this room with us tonight and you're giving by uh, uh, cash or debit or credit card, want a tax receipt for your giving, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. We're always so thankful for your giving. Uh, we're believing this is the best year ever, that you're going to move the corner of 2020 into 2021, uh, prosperous, healthy, and whole in every facet of your being. Praise the Lord. And God is good. Thank you, Lord. And so when you uh, leave tonight, uh, if you have an offering, you can leave it in one of the receptacles, either over there or over there. I just love that. I always feel like a stewardess there and there. Uh, I know you're getting tired of that, but every time I do it, I just picture that stewardess, you know. And if the plane starts to go down, we have exits there and we have exits <laughs> there. And Praise the Lord, the plane's not going down. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give. We command the blessings of the Word of God upon each and every one that gives Father, we just thank you that the blessings of God cover every area of our life, that each one prospers and is in health even as their soul prospers. So we declare prosperity. We declare health. In this room, we declare health for every single person who's watching tonight and the blessings of God, that people are blessed coming and going. They're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Father, no weapon formed against them will prosper. When the enemy comes against them, one way he flees seven because we live under an open heaven as those who are givers. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke, the 17th chapter. Just want to share a few things tonight. And we're just going to begin here, but we're going to begin, and don't want you to, to shut me off at this, uh, just announcing this, but we're going to talk about faith's confession. Faith's confession. And with so much information in the world today and, you know, so much to listen to, um, so much to hear that's going on, trying to gather information, whether it's about, you know, the political scene of the day, whether it's about coronavirus, whether it's about the economy, what it is, there's just so much information. And the more that the internet picks up, the more uh, we watch, there's more information available. And if we're not careful, we take in information and we don't even really understand how subtly the enemy is working through that information to plant things in our heart and then all of a sudden we begin to speak things out of our mouth that are really coming because we've opened up or we've allowed things into our heart. And so we want to talk about the power of faith's confession. But first of all, I just want to look at faith just a little bit, something that Jesus was talking about concerning faith. And we may spend a couple of weeks on this because I believe it's, it's really incredibly important. Uh, again, as we're coming to the end of 20, 20, uh, 2020 and entering into 2021, how you speak about 2021 will make a tremendous difference in your life. What you believe about 2021, what you say about 2021, what you say about each day is really going to begin to set a pathway for us to walk in. What you pray about 2021 will start to set a pathway. And the enemy will try to get you to say some things, you know, as we're in church or you remember or you're praying, but it's what we consistently say not what we say on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we agree with the world, and then Sunday, we, we get back on what God is saying, right? That'll be a kind of a, a jerky life. <laughs> but if we can begin to speak what God is saying on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? And we begin to take a stand as believers concerning what God has said right? We are going to have what we say. Everybody say, I have, I have. What, I say. what I say. Go ahead and say it again. I have, I have. What, I say. what I say. So in Luke chapter 17, and uh, we're going to jump in here. Uh, Jesus has just talked about forgiveness. So I'm just going to put this in a little context. He's talking about forgiveness and forgiving people 
uh, seven times a day, and seven times we forgive them. And so he's talking about something that's pretty incredible. I like the disciples. When you read through the scripture, he says seven times, and he's teaching them, forgive even seven times a day. And so Peter, he's, Peter's always this great guy. Uh, Peter listened to this seven times. And if you look at Peter approach Jesus at another time, and he says, listen, I'm doing good uh, if I forgive my brother seven times. And Jesus said, well, let's just talk about this. Not seven times, but 70 times seven But see, what we learn is we listen to something, we try to put it in a box. Jesus said seven times, I forgave seven times today, so God, I'm really doing good. And Jesus said, well, listen, the whole concept wasn't the exact amount of times, it was the heart of forgiveness. But even at forgiving seven times, they said this to him, I like this, they said, and the apostles said to him, Lord, increase our faith. I mean, if we're going to forgive people seven times in a day, we are going to need more faith. But Jesus said, so the Lord said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. He goes on to say, which of you having a servant plowing? He says some things, but he says, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up, cast in the sea and removed. Another place he uses the same analogy. He said, if you had this, the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be thou removed. So why would Jesus use this size, this, this faith, the size of a mustard seed? Well, I believe that he uses this, this analogy, the faith of a mustard seed, not because he says you'll have little faith, because he really talks to his disciples about growing their faith, having great faith, right? But I believe he uses it in some way, shape, or form to say, listen, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation that you're approaching in life, it will seem like a mountain. It will seem like a mulberry tree, something that is so rooted and planted that it will never be moved. And he said, at every situation, every circumstance that confronts you in life, the chance of you thinking that your faith is too small will almost always be there. And if we're not careful, we get into the challenge of faith in our faith. Faith in our faith. So often we get into the challenge of what people might think about our faith. Will people think I have enough faith? If I, if I don't do this right, if I don't do that right, will people think I have enough faith? Will they think I don't have enough faith? And all of a sudden we get into gymnastics that really, really denote we're struggling in our faith. Right? That we're struggling. If we're worried about if I make this action, will people think I have no faith or will people think? What do, it won't matter what people think about your faith. <laughs> Why we get too worried about what people think about our faith? It doesn't matter what people think about your faith. It matters where our faith is. And so by virtue of faith in God, you will approach things with faith. And if it's really God and it's really the enemy attacking you, it will seem like something that is so deep-rooted that it will not come up or so big that it could never be moved. And so when Jesus says, listen, you will always feel like your faith is the size of a mustard seed. But it's not about the size of your faith concerning the situation. It is the size of your faith in the God that you serve. Because the size of your situation does not matter if you have faith in a big, big God. Come on. And the enemy will just try to get you dissuaded as we talk about faith. We talk about the principles of faith. We even talk about the confession of faith. You'll be thinking, do I have enough? Do I not have enough? What's going on here? But really, the crux of your faith is, listen, no matter what the circumstance in your life, is your faith in the Almighty God? Is your faith in a God that measures the universe in the span of his hand? Right? Is your faith in a God that created the universe, the heavens and the earth, and everything that in them is? Is your faith in the almighty God? Almighty, the one who is mightier than anything that we face, right? You might be facing a large situation. You might be facing something that is a trial that is really great. You might be facing something in your body that seems insurmountable. But do you serve the almighty God? Is your faith in the circumstance? Is your faith in how you feel? Is your faith in your faith? Or is your faith in him? 
And once we make that adjustment that, listen, my faith may seem small, God, increase my faith. He said, listen, right now, we do need to increase our faith, but right now, what you need to do is trust me. Because I'm bigger than your circumstance. I'm bigger than anything you face. And so you might not be able to handle it. You might not be able to get your faith stirred up enough. But if you could just believe me. And that's what Jesus was saying to that man whose son was demon-possessed. He said, listen, if I could only get you to believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Believes what? See, we get to the point, could I just believe that my son would be made whole? I believe he was looking at Jesus, and Jesus was looking at him, and he said, listen, your disciples prayed for him, and it's hard for me to believe that my son could be made whole. I've watched people pray over and over, and my son is still not whole, and Jesus is standing there and not saying, can you believe that your son will be made whole, but look at me right now. Look me in the eye. If you could only believe that I'm the one that can make him whole, he'll be whole. See, we look at our body and we look at situations where we're like, I'm not sure this could ever change. He said, get your eyes off of what you don't think can change and get your eyes on me because I'm bigger than the mountain. I'm bigger than the mulberry tree. I'm bigger than your circumstance. I'm bigger than the sickness and disease. I'm bigger than the strife. I'm bigger than the argument. I'm bigger than anything that you're facing. I am God. Come on. And if we just make that adjustment in 2021, God, I'm believing you, and you're bigger than anything. Come on. And so he gets to this place, and what does he say? He said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed in me, the big, big God, you'll say to this other thing, You'll say to this deep-rooted thing in your life, you'll say to this unforgiveness, you'll say to this anger, you'll say to this worry, you'll say to this stress, those things that seem to be have been a part of your life. Well, you know, I'm just a worrier. Uh, Grandma was a worrier and mama was a worrier and so it's just in our family. That's a mulberry tree that needs to be uprooted and cast into the sea. Well, listen, grandpa was an alcoholic. Papa was an alcoholic. It's just come down. That's a deep-rooted thing. It's time to speak to that mulberry tree and get it uprooted. I'm not saying that there's not things. God's not saying that there's not things that didn't go down in your life and take root and are trying to hold you. But he says, listen, we'll begin to set an ax to that root. We'll move it out and we'll start to plant other things. And the love of God will begin to take root and go down deep and plant you. The faith of God will go down deep and cause you to be steadfast and immovable. It'll be an anchor. That belief in God will be an anchor to your soul. So it's time to get things uprooted. It's time to get mountains that have been obstacles in your life moved out of the way because you face them not in the size of the mountain what has been there forever but you face it with a faith in a big big God and when we stand believing him and we realize that he is bigger than my circumstance he's bigger than my mistake he's bigger than my failure he's the one that is bigger than all things and he shed his blood to break the power of all of that we begin to speak to those situations and command them to be removed from our life and when he says be removed and cast into the sea what's he saying get out of the way and disappear Listen, if it's cast into the sea, it sinks into the sea and you don't see it anymore. You look out over the sea and you're like, wow, that just looks like nice water. Look at the sun set over that water. Isn't it beautiful? Some people say, just get out of the way and their mountain is right there. And it's always in your peripheral view, your mountain. You're trying to live for God, but your mountain, your issue, your problem, your mulberry tree is always in your peripheral vision trying to speak to you. And it's time to speak to it and say, get in the sea and be removed once and for all and forever. And so this faith that we have in a big, big God, turn over to Romans chapter 10. Now, I know that you all are faith people. 
But I'm just going to join in with the Apostle Peter who said, as long as we are in this tent, I'm going to remind you of these things. Because if there's something that I've noted throughout the past few years uh, in, in my life and just because I listen to things around, it's very easy to get caught up in wherever the world's going and find ourselves speaking in line with that. And it becomes, uh, we become a little casual about it, yet it becomes devastating to our health. It becomes devastating to our family. It becomes devastating, most of all, to God's plan for our life. And so we want to really just be reminded and, and remind ourselves of these things on a regular basis. So Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your heart, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. You know, the, the, the scripture that he's quoting, he says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. It's in your heart and in your mouth so that you may do it. Here he just ends right there and he says, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But the, the scripture that Paul is quoting, he says, the word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart so that you might do it. Listen, when the word is in your heart and in your mouth, it lays the path for you to do it. The enemy knows this, that if he can get you to say something other than the word, he'll end up getting you to do something other than the word. But if he can get the word in our heart and in our mouth, it'll spring out of our heart, through our mouth, create a path for us to walk in and to do it. Because the word of God is a creative force. It is in our heart and in our mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. Turn over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. I might have said this a couple of weeks ago or, or in Bible school. I've been teaching faith and faith for healing in Bible school. But, um, you know, I went to Rainbow Bible College, and, and Brother Hagan was still alive when I went to Rainbow Bible College, and so he taught our faith class. And so Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, almost every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, class started, and I heard this phrase, open your Bibles to Mark 11.22. Open your Bibles to Mark 11.22. And so then he would quote Mark 11.22. He would launch off and he would teach on faith. And, you know, I sat there over those two years and listened to him teach on faith, and, and I loved it. And especially my first year, I mean, I was just really getting to know, uh, uh, learn about faith in God and trust in God and, you know, the things that he would talk about faith in God. But you hear that every day. And then, you know, over course of time of, of leaving school, being here, uh, Brother Hagin started doing Holy Ghost meetings, and for a number of years he did Holy Ghost meeting, taught on being led by the Spirit, the move of the Spirit of God, and uh, things like that. And then after that number of years, um, Brother Hagin uh, said, you know, God told him that faith in the body of Christ was at an all-time low. I mean, just, just by, you know, having Holy Ghost meetings, people not really teaching on faith. This is how easy if we don't keep up on our faith it starts to wane. And so uh, he went back to teaching faith. And one of the first meetings that he did, uh, when he went back to teaching faith, he did it at uh, the Orchard Road Church, Maryland Hickey's Church in Denver. So we went down there to listen. We were sitting, I'll, I'll never forget, in that church we were sitting, and it has, you know, skylights from everywhere. And uh, we were sitting in the middle because the light wasn't shining there. And Brother Hagen came in, the worship, you know, uh, Raymer singer sang and stuff like that. And he comes and he sets his Bible down. He says, open your Bibles to Mark 11, and I'm telling you what, it was like people started, just somebody started pouring fresh water down into my spirit. I thought, man, it seems like years since I heard him say, now open your Bibles. We're going to talk about faith in God. We're going to talk about the God kind of faith. Listen, when we hear about the God kind of faith, it should be like somebody pouring fresh oil, pouring fresh water into our souls, because the just live by faith. Come on, the just live by faith. Every single day of our life 
should be lived by trusting this big, big God who redeemed our life from destruction, who washed us and cleansed us, who broke the bonds of sin and created a future and a hope and a divine destiny that we could live with him, we could walk with him, that we could trust in him in every area of our life, spirit, soul, and body. And so Mark chapter 11 He says this, he says, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Again, if you look at different translations or you have a Bible with it in your margin, it actually more accurately says, have the faith of God. Have the faith of God or have the God kind of faith which really begins to make sense as we look at it because, he, you know, when he talks, he, he, he spoke to the fig tree. He was making a demonstration, and he walked past the fig tree, and he cursed the fig tree. He spoke to the fig tree, and when they came back the next day, they were like, this is amazing. This thing is dead from the roots. It's not just starting to weather. This thing is done. It's gone, and they said, what is going on? And he said, have the God kind of faith, and he's going to teach them what God's faith is like, not not teaching them about just having faith in God, but what God's faith is like, right? So he said, for surely I say unto you, whoever says to this mountain, everybody say says, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, everybody say says, he will have whatever he says, right? And so Jesus said, this is the God kind of faith that you're going to have to say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And you're going to have to deal with your mind and your will and your emotions at that moment that will cause you to say, wait a minute, it doesn't look like it's moving. Wait a minute, what makes you think that it will really move? Well, why do you even intend on moving that mountain? See, we've, we've looked at it and we've said, listen, I have the word of God on this and I don't doubt in my spirit. But what he's saying here, if you look at this, is he's saying that this heart that he's talking about doubting in your heart is a combination of your spirit and your soul. In other words, you speak to this mountain because in your spirit, the word of God is resonating. And so you don't doubt in your spirit. But once you speak to that mountain and that mountain doesn't just go, oh, you said move, I'll see you. Then your emotions and your mind and your intellect get involved going, I wonder what's going on. I wonder why. And it starts to doubt. And he says, listen, you've got to come to the point that even your mind, your will, and your emotions do not doubt what you are saying. That when you say unto this mountain, you are 100% convinced that the authority of God's word in the name of Jesus overrides any mountain that wants to stay, any rooted thing that wants to say, that the power of the name and the authority that's been given to you in that name to move those rooted things, to move those mountains is absolutely something I'm convinced about. So when I say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea, bless God, you better get ready to move. Not, are you going to move? Better get ready to move because there's something on the other side of this mountain that I'm fixing to get to. Right? God's got a destiny and a plan, and it's not to homestead this mountain. Come on, too many people are looking at history. They're looking at things that happened in the past. They're looking at what's happened in their family in the past, what's gone on in the past, and they run into a mountain, and they end up homesteading that mountain and saying, well, this is just my mountain. They actually call it their cross to bear, but it's a mountain that the enemy put there that they homestead. That's not your cross. That's a mountain. Jesus said, move it, because I got something for you on the other side. And if you just knew and believed there was something on the other side of that, there's no reason for you to not move it. But see, the enemy tries to say, this is too big of a mountain, and how do you know that this is not where you're going to live the rest of your life? And the moment we begin to believe and speak and say, this is my mountain, this is where my family's resided for years, and this worry, and this stress, and this doubt, and this dysfunction of family, and this marital distress, it's just happened over and over and over again. It's just our our mountain, our family homesteads this, and God said, it's time to break that stuff up and say to this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and not doubt, not go back to your past, not go back to what the family's been like, not even go back to last week, what you did wrong and what you said wrong, but to put your feet down and say, I'm not moving. Something has to move here and I'm not moving. Come on. I'm not going back to where I used to be. 
My movement is forward. So you're going to have to move because I'm coming through. Huh? I'm coming through to the other side. I'm coming through to healing. I'm coming through to a good marriage. I'm coming through to prosperity. I'm coming through to peace. I'm coming through to joy. So anything that's stopping that, you got to get out of the way. But you have to be bold enough. We have to be bold enough to speak to it. Charles Capp said this in his uh, little book. Um, I think it's called The Creative. What is it called? Power of Creative. What? Creative. No. It's in the bookstore anyway. I forget the exact name of it. Sorry, that was a bad. He said this. Faith-filled words will give you the victory or it will put you over. Fear-filled words will defeat you. Fearful words will defeat you. So I like that. When I saw that, and then Alan said last week, this is fear. This is the acrostic for fear. Forgetting everything about redemption. Fear is forgetting everything about redemption. So the enemy tries to come and tries to say, well, you'll never get there because of your past. Wait a minute. Redemption. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. Well, listen, that thing that's attacking your body, it's probably going to kill you. Well, wait a minute. Jesus laid over the whipping post, and by his stripes I am healed. Come on. Redemption did so much for us. And the enemy will try to get you so worried about the conditions of life that you forget everything about redemption. But faith is remembering everything about redemption. That I'm his and he's mine. That he redeemed my life from destruction. He ransomed me from the slavery of sin and everything that had to do with it. And he, brought, he bought my life. And he brought me into fellowship with God. And he reconciled my life. And he put my feet on a solid rock. And he is my rock. And he is my fortress. He is my God. It's in him that I trust he was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace laid upon him. And by his stripes, I am healed. Come on, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. That neither death nor life nor angels or principalities or things present or things to come, famine, peril, nakedness, or sword, nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, I've learned to be abound and I've learned to abase. Whatever state I'm in, I'm content. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on. Sometimes when things are happening, you just have to agree with the Apostle Paul in redemption. Today's present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed. Instead of getting caught in today's present suffering and feeling bad about ourselves and letting the enemy knock us down and run us over and then back over us again and then run us over us again. To stand up and say, what I'm suffering today, I'm staying faith in Jesus Christ and I will come out the other side complete and entire lacking nothing. Today is nothing compared to what God is doing in me and through me to display his glory to those around me. Come on, we got to believe it. So your words are one of the most powerful things in all of the universe. God made it that way. Words are one of the most powerful things in all the universe. You know, when I was a, a, a kid, you know, we used to, they would tell us this because you'd come home and you'd go, oh, God, somebody, somebody at school, the bully said something about me. And so mom and dad would snap out of it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of that work for y'all? <laughs> no. I mean, still as adults, we're looking back to words that were said and they hurt us. Because words are powerful. Words are powerful. Once we understand, listen, the words of our mouth are incredibly powerful. And so Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20, turn over there. If you have your Bibles with you, turn over there. Don't rely on the screen. It's going to help you to look at your Bible. When you decide, you know what, I need to have some faith confession, you need to not go. Now, what was that they put on the screen? You need to look into your Bible, be able to know in your Bible, highlight it in your Bible. Listen, this is the word I'm looking for right here. Proverbs chapter 18.
In verse 20, it says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. For the produce of his, from the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Now listen, we might say, oh, that's all good, and it can be good. But he said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Right. So for all of us that love to talk, what you say the most is what you'll participate in. And words either contain death or they contain life. Words either contain death or they contain life. They are either creative or they are destructive. Words are either creative or destructive. They either build faith or they build fear. Come on, words aren't just neutral, right? Jesus even talked about idle words. He said, listen, they're not really idle. You'll have to give an account for what you thought were idle words. What you thought was, ah, that doesn't matter. He said, you're going to have to give an account for your words because we'll stand there and by our words, we are judged. By our words, we are condemned or by our words, we are justified. It's a good time to just understand the blood of Jesus and go, oh, Jesus. (laughs) Coming into 2021, I'm so thankful, Jesus, that by your blood, you've taken my sin as far and cast it as far as the east is from the west to remember it no more. So all those words, I'm just coming right now, and I'm putting under the blood of Jesus. So on that judgment day, I'm not standing there, and Jesus said, now, let's look at your life in retrospect. What did you say about life? Well, life sucks. Oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) Life's just terrible. Life's bad. I'm so disappointed with life. Well, that's where you'll end up, disappointed with life. And say, God, why was I so disappointed with life? By your words, you set direction. Man, life was a joy. Life was a challenge that was there to overcome. God, you're my refuge, my fortress, my God. I'm standing strong and healthy and protected. Well, why is that? Because that's what I said with my mouth. Come on, they're one of the most powerful forces in all the universe God created that way. He created you and I in such a way that scientists have said your voice print is even more accurate than your fingerprint. Mark Hankin says it like this, your voice is your address in heaven. Your voice is your address in heaven. I think two weeks ago, we talked about this, but you go to Daniel chapter 10, and the angel's standing there next to Daniel, who's been praying for 21 days, and he said, stand up on your feet. I'm here on account of your words. He said that from the first day that you began to pray, an order went out in heaven for me to deliver the answer. Come on, God knows your address when you're praying in faith. He hears your words. They're the most powerful force in the universe. Turn over to Job chapter 22. Job chapter 22. Again, we've heard these things, but I want to encourage you that turning the corner of this year, that you begin to look at the things that God has said about you, what he said about forgiving your mistakes, what he has said about your marriage, what he has said about your kids, what he said about your prosperity, what he said about your physical health, and begin to accumulate the word of God concerning things that you're concerned about, things that you don't know, things that you're wondering about. Accumulate the word of God and start to speak those into 2021. Don't speak what you have. Speak what God wants you to have. Don't speak what you have, but speak what Jesus said I purchased for you to have. Come on, it may be the hardest thing that you've ever done, but it's time to start writing it down. It's time to start putting something on a, a, go back to the 80s. You have it in a computer now, but if you have to write it on a little card and say, this week, this is what I'm declaring for my life. 
and write a scripture down. If you're struggling in your body, write down 1 Peter 2.24. Write down that, uh, where God said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Begin to write down Matthew 8.17. For he took my infirmities and he bore my transgression. Whatever that it is, right? If you're having trouble with wisdom in life and where to go, that you just declare uh, from Thessalonians that he's been made unto me wisdom, sanctification, righteousness, and redemption. Jesus is my wisdom. He said if I would ask for wisdom, he'd give it liberally and upbraideth not if I would ask in faith. So here I am asking in faith, and I declare that I have the wisdom of God. For with wisdom a house is built, with understanding it's established, and with knowledge it's filled with all good and pleasant riches. So I'm here, God, to build a house for you, and I thank you that you've given me wisdom, something, whatever it is that you're dealing with. If it's marriage, you begin to put marriage scripture down. If you're a husband, you just begin to declare that I love my wife like Christ loved the church, that I speak the word of God over her and it cleanses and it sanctifies her. It, 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 I love her more than anything in the world. I give my life in, in, in service to God for my wife. You begin to look at those things, figure out how Jesus loved the church and write those things down and say, this is how I'm going to love my wife. Wives, if you're having trouble in your marriage, you begin to look and see how you honor your husband, how you esteem him, how you respect him in the way that God has created him to be. And you put that and you start confessing that word and declare that our marriage is going to be right, not because he changes everything, but because God, you're changing me, that you're making me the best wife. You're making me the best husband that I could possibly be. Come on, you declare the word of God over your children every single day in the course of their life. You go and find scripture, what God has said about those, and you write them down and you put them up somewhere. And you start to confess them every single day in your devotion time, in your drive time, in your before you go to bed time. You declare that and say, in 2021, these things are true. I'm declaring them. And by declaring them, I'm causing them to be established. My words are one of the most important things in the universe. And I'm going to use them for good. I'm going to use them as a creative force. I'm going to use them as a faith-building force. I'm going to use them for life. I'm no longer going to use them for death and destruction and fear. Praise the Lord. Job chapter 22. Starting in verse 27, he says, you will make your prayer to him and he will hear you. And you will pray your vow, pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. And so light will shine on your ways. Listen, when you declare a thing, when you declare and agree with God's word, it becomes established. And then light starts to shine on the way. See, we want light to shine on the way before we say anything, because we want to be sure. Because we want to be sure. But he says, listen, trust me, there's something right there that I'm grabbing onto when I turn. Sorry. It's probably the connection. Praise the Lord. I'll just slow down. I won't move. <laughs> what he's saying is he's saying, listen, if you'll have faith in me and put that in your heart and then agree with me, it'll be established. Why? Because his word is already established in heaven. Amen. Listen, when we say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's what God wants. And when Jesus said, pray that thy will, my will, or his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, we can say that, well, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, or we can know his will, and we can declare it, and since it's already established in heaven, we establish it on the earth. He said, listen, I give you authority. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When the word of God that's established in heaven, we loose it on the earth, it's established. And if we don't wait for it to be light to us first, we say it, it will be light to our path. Come on, it's established, it becomes light. And so Ephesians 5 says that we are to be imitators of God as dear children. Imitators of God as dear children. And so turn over to Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. 
Remember, Jesus said, have the faith of God, the faith of God. And he explained to us what it was. And then there in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, be an imitator of God as dear children. In other words, get to know God and imitate him. God's a God of faith. What he wants us to do is imitate his faith. That's why he says the just shall live by faith, that we get to know God, the God kind of faith, and we imitate him. And so Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Romans chapter 4 is just a, a great chapter to read about faith and the faith of Abraham, right? Again, uh, just a quick return to, you know, when we think our, our faith is a little bit small in the in the insurmountable things and the time that it takes and the wonder of who God is. And we see God's account of Abraham in the New Testament. And if you read it right here in this New Testament, it sounds like God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham said, rock on. I believe it. And it's accounted to him for righteousness. And here's Isaac. Boom. But that's how God looks at it when we believe God. He doesn't all of a sudden go back and say, well, now look at here's all your history and all this. But he did for us in Genesis record the whole account. And that God saw Abraham and he saw that he was a man who would raise his children well. And he knew that he would, he would seek God with all of his heart. And so he came to him and he said, I'll make you the father of many nations. He says, how's that going to happen since I have no heir in my house? And he said, I'm going to give you an heir. It's my promise. And he said, I believe it. And God accounted it to him for righteousness sake. He accounted it to him for relationship. He said, if you'll believe me, we can do amazing things together. But then Abraham started looking at his own faith and saying, now, how are we going to get this done? He asked Sarah for help, and she said, well, I don't know how we're going to get this done, but there always is Hagar over there. And so he went and got Hagar and had Hagar, you know, and, and that created a, a problem and an issue, and then he had to come back, and God had to re-promise him, hey, uh, you know, Ishmael's not the one. I have a son of promise for you. And it took 25 years he didn't just go, I believe God, and boom, there's Isaac. He kept believing God, and he made mistakes, and he still had to believe God was bigger than his mistake, right? When we believe in a big, big God, God's bigger. God was bigger than that mistake that Abraham made. Thank God for it. Because if he wasn't bigger than that, we never would have seen Jesus. But because he said, my bad, sorry, I made that mistake, and God forgave him, and God said, I still have a plan for you and Sarah, and it's Isaac, it's the son of promise. And then he has Isaac, and it's great, but then his, his, his faith still has to be big enough to take him up to sacrifice. It's a continual working of believing and trusting God, that, God, you started this whole thing. This isn't my son anyway. I couldn't have even had him without you, and so if you want him back, here he's yours. And God says, I don't really want him back. I just want to know that you'll obey me, and here's the sacrifice. And this is a type of Jesus Christ, the ram in the thicket, that you're going to have to give your whole life. But I'm telling you what, in all of you giving your life, Jesus is going to come as the sacrifice so that you can live a life full and unfettered by sin. Amen. And so this is what Abraham's faith, he's talking about this and he's talking about this faith of God and being able to imitate it. Verse 17, it says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations and in the presence of him whom he believed, God. The one who gives life to the dead. And he calls those things which did not, do not exist as though they did. What is it in your life? What is it in my life that you can look in the Bible and know that God gave it to you, promised it to you through Jesus Christ that you don't yet see in your life? He said, if God said it, you call that thing into existence. You declare that thing. You call that thing that does not exist, but it was purchased by the blood. You start talking. You start calling that thing that does not exist as though it did. Don't get tricked into calling those things that be as though they're not. Don't just deny, well, no, I, I have plenty of money if you don't. Well, I feel great if you don't. If you don't, just don't say, I feel terrible, I feel rotten, I think I'm going down. Just stop and say, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. He took my infirmity and bo he bore my sicknesses. So I'm taking a healing from God. 
Come on, I know that sounds strange to you. That just sounds too strange. But listen, you can sound a little strange until you get used to it and have life. Or you can feel totally comfortable with your discomfort and your stuff and end up having it continue to hurt you. We just have to get more comfortable with God's word than we do what the enemy wants us to say about our situation. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says this. Again, if we're going to imitate God as dear children, we need to know the faith of God. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. It said, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Right? He's about to list all these good testimonies. He said, by faith, these elders, and he goes into what we call a whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 of the elders, and he said, listen, for the sake of time and space of writing this out, I can't even list everybody who really, by faith, did tremendous things. He said, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Then he says this, he said, by faith, we understand. Everybody say, understand. understand. Listen, if we're going to live by faith, we'll start to understand some things about Jesus' redemption and about God. But if you don't live by faith, you'll never understand God. We'll just let that soak in. That got pretty quiet. You can't grab God with your intellect. You have to trust God with your heart. But when you trust God with your heart, you begin to understand what God is doing. When you trust God with forgiveness, even though it's difficult, you say, God, I'm going to trust you. I need grace to forgive this person who's done this to me or the situation that happened to me. And, and the, your mind says, I can't forgive. I'll never forgive. It'll make me too vulnerable. I don't get it. I don't get why you're asking me to forgive. Anybody ever been there? I don't get why you're asking me to forgive. Don't you understand what I went through? And he's like, I know you don't understand, and you'll never understand until you truly forgive. But the moment you truly forgive and that weight that has been resting upon you since that moment, that wound, that hurt that has been gouging at you since that moment, all of a sudden you forgive and it goes away. You're like, I understand why these 20 years you wanted me to forgive and immediately, I don't understand why I didn't do it the first day you asked me. See, because we fight because we don't understand. But when we trust him and we act by faith, we begin to understand what God is up to. God is up to good. God is up to having your best interest at heart. God is into sending you free. God is up to filling your life to the overflow with good things. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation, there is no shadow of turning. If he did it once, he'll do it again. If he did it for somebody else, he'll do it for you. God is faithful to perform that which he promised. He just needs to get us to agree with it. He said, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things that we see were not made of things which are visible. Why? Because he called those things that did not exist as though they did. And when you begin to look at your life and say, this is what God said should exist in my life, and it doesn't, I start calling it into existence. Because of something that's happened to me, what exists in my life is resentment instead of forgiveness. So I'm calling forgiveness into my life. I'm saying with my mouth, I am a person who easily and quickly forgives. Right? I find anger and bitterness and selfishness in my life. I'm not really seeing the love of God. We start calling the love of God into our life. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God dwells in me, and he produces the love of God, and that love of God drives out selfishness. But whether I see it or not, I will declare and confess with my mouth that I am a lover of God, and I am a lover of people. You need to start calling those things that do not exist as though they do. And lastly, turn over to Philemon. Philemon, I keep pushing Philippians. Philemon, there's only one chapter, verse 6. 
says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. That word acknowledgement means this, to admit as truth. To admit as truth. To declare as truth. He said, your faith, the sharing of your faith will become effective. One translation says, the sharing of your faith will be communicable. We've learned a lot about communicable diseases over the last year. What we need to do is we need to take everything that they've told us not to do because this disease is communicable, and we need to reverse it, and we need to make our faith communicable. We need to unmask ourselves and quit living behind a mask, a false facade, and let Jesus shine through. We need to find a safe place, safe at home. He abides under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of him, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. We need to breathe on people the word of God. We need to pray for them so it's communicable. We need to acknowledge the word of God. We need to have some community spread of the gospel. (laughs) Come on. I'm not telling you to go out and get next to people, but there's a way that we've we've kept ourselves. We've allowed the world to say, don't spread this. Don't spread this gospel, and this is how you do it. You just cloister yourself in a little church building, and you stay at home, and you stay safe at home and feel safe at home. He said, but if you get out amongst people, and you share with people, and you get near people, and you declare to people, you do all that, it's going to spread. And that's what's supposed to happen with the gospel. And God designed it for the gospel, and the enemy stole the principle. And he spreads sickness and disease and distress and fear. He communicates it, and we buy into it. But he said he just stole the technology from God. And it's time that we become communicable in our faith. By what? By admitting that every good thing that's in us came from Christ. Admitting it the truth of it every single day, beginning to watch the words of our mouth. I'm going to close. We're going to continue to talk about the words of our mouth, but I just want you to think about this as we go throughout the week, and there's so many things that you will think about. There's so many things that you will be tempted to say based on feeling, emotion, information that come. But to begin to look at what's in your heart, what you're allowing in, Proverbs 4 says to guard our heart because out of it flow the issues of life. And right after that, he says, watch what comes out of your mouth. He said, don't let any crooked thing come out of your mouth, any perverse thing come out of your lips. He said, let your heart be guarded, but also in order to keep your path straight and your focus straight, you're going to have to watch what comes out of your mouth to guard your heart. So it's just a good thing for all of us. I'll be included I'm like the Apostle Paul, not that I've yet attained, but what I need to do is forget what's behind, the mistakes that are behind, and press towards what's ahead. Because I believe as we've been praying, we've been spending time in prayer, not only on Monday night, not only at noontime when we have take 10, but in personal prayer time, that God is doing something in front of the scenes. Right? We think God's doing something behind the scenes. He's not doing it behind the scenes. He's not doing it in secret. He's doing it in front of the scenes. We're just looking through all the scene, and we're not seeing it. But when we begin to look past the scene to the unseen, why? Because the scene is temporary. The unseen is eternal. And God is working in front of the scenes, and he has something in 2021 for the church that is amazing. But he has got to get the church to agree with him. I have no idea what this is today, but we got it good. He just wants us to agree with him. It just starts with agreeing with him. And once we start declaring it, light comes into our path. We're trying to make everything happen. But he said, listen, instead of trying to make everything happen at first, receive my word, believe my word, and start speaking my word and live by faith. Amen? Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. We're so grateful. We're so thankful.